Welcome to Canoe Creek Christian Church's podcast. Our mission is to help others connect with Christ, grow together, and go share Jesus with their world. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Drive. Our services are Sunday morning at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. You can also find our services online through Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening today. Maybe that just uh, ask you this. When it comes to getting ready for things, I'm assuming you prepare, right? You go to work, uh, you go on vacation, you go on a date. I mean, whatever it is that you're doing, when we plan to do something, we prepare for whatever it is that we're going to do, right? Preparation, it may be an action of discipline, it may be an action of excitement, or just that we are, you know, uh, uh, desiring what it is that we're going to go do, so on and so forth. But when it comes down to accomplishing something or having something that we're going to go do, we prepare for it. So now let me ask you a question. How do you prepare for worship? I think I think for some of us, it may be like hearing that this morning. We're like, oh, we prepare for worship? I seriously think that some of us will, will pause on that question. I've never thought about that before, and that's perfectly fine. But if the things that we do in life require preparation because they're important, how much more important is coming together and worshiping on a Sunday or our actions of worship Monday through Saturday just as important for us to really be intentional about how am I preparing? And sometimes it's preparation just because it's a discipline. Sometimes it's preparation because there's a desire and excitement there. But the point being is that there's always an attitude of preparation. Psalm 24 is the psalm we're going to be focused in on this morning. And it's a psalm of ascent. That is, as they're approaching Jerusalem, which is ascending in elevation, they would sing certain things before festivals, and this is one of those psalms. And in fact, um, I had Doug read that context before I came up here because many believe that this psalm may be a psalm of ascent when David was successful at bringing the ark, which represents the presence of God, into their community. And, and, so, and so we needed that context to see that, and we'll look at that here in just a minute. But Psalm 24, as we read this together, I want us to just focus in on the content there. And there is a part that I want you to read just like before, and it's highlighted in yellow. You'll see that. And I want to ask that we could do something special. We're going to do this each week for five weeks. As you are able, if you desire, feel free one way or the other. Would you stand together as we read this? So Psalm 24, if you're able and desire, stand together and let's read this. And the parts that I'm going to invite you to read are going to be highlighted in yellow. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And now this last part of the psalm is a call and response, which I love it when we do songs that are call and response, especially when we have men's voices and women's voices separate. What it is, they're calling out to the gates, saying, hey, we've got the presence of God with us. We're coming. 
open up those gates. And so once again, there's parts where you can read here along with us. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? Amen. You may be seated. I want our main focus on this psalm to be around the word and the idea of preparation. How do we prepare ourselves for worship? How are we preparing ourselves for worship on a Sunday when we're gathered together in this room, or any other room for that fact, um, or outside, or any day of the week as we go about the various things that we have in our lives that need to be done? Uh, you, you know, what Doug read was from Second Samuel and First Chronicles. And there's the account of the failure. Why is it a failure? Well, because, you know, David just thought he'd get some of his buddies together. They'd go down to tractor supply, buy a brand new trailer, throw the ark on it, and just drag it on into Jerusalem, celebrating all excited like. And we wonder why is it that Uzzah, who does something we think is necessary, don't let the ark fall by any means, puts his hand out and touches it, and God causes him to die right there. Because God's making a very essential point. The presence of God is perfect and holy. Nothing holy can come into contact with it, which is so important as we look later at who can ascend the mountain, right? Uh, and so God makes a point there, and David's freaked out. He's like, what are we going to do? They leave the ark where it is, and then we see the contrast later, which is three months later. David, like, let me go back, prepare for what we need to prepare for to do this right. And then we see he brings out the Levites, uh, that really list of hard names that Doug read for us the people who were prescribed by God to carry the ark in a way and manner that was worthy. And they don't just get some trailer from tractor supply. They have special poles that they put into the rings on the side of the ark, and they carry it securely on their shoulders. And, and so now that he's doing things in the way that God has commanded, now that he's prepared himself, their action of worship is acceptable to God. Do you ever ask whenever I come into worship, my singing, my prayers, my attention to the scripture, or any time throughout the week, my this, my that, is this acceptable to God? Does it please him? Was I prepared in a way that I know I did this so that he was glorified? I think these are just some good and simple questions. And we want to point out that worship requires us to prepare our hearts. And when we prepare our hearts, we, in a sense, carry God with us. We, the presence of God with us, this gift that he's given as a promise, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and, and as an overflow of the heart when we're prepared and worshiping and glorifying him well, no matter what we do, it impacts people around us. You know, we're either inviting the presence of God into our lives and times of worship, or we're frustrating that presence in our atmosphere of worship corporately or in our personal individual lives. We're either encouraging people to know and be pleased with God or we're discouraging them from knowing him and being pleased with him. We're either sharing Jesus with our immediate world around us or we are withholding Jesus from people around us. We're either celebrating the truthful joy that God is present with us as he's promised or we're given into fear and anxiety about how we feel as to whether he is there or not there. And here's the reality. The difference is always worship. 
You know, the difference is always whether we are or we are not worshiping. And so sometimes we struggle with that. I mean, defining worship, I, I, I've got a better, you know, success rate at nailing jello to a wall, right? Because it just seems so hard for us to get our minds wrapped around it, to understand it, and to comprehend it. Let's just look at the broader focus of this psalm really quickly. Psalm 24 starts out, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Simple concept, right? Your house my truck, your this, my that, the mountain we love to go visit, the oceans we love to swim in, guess what? All belongs to God. He created it. He has intellectual property rights to all of it, and it's his. But let's extend that, right? Your spouse, your kid, um, your teacher, your student, your employer, your boss, I don't know, maybe think of somebody that you're not very excited about right now or somebody that's not excited about you, insert their name, we all belong to God. Just like he created a mountain, he created the water, he created my life, he created your life. We are his intellectual property. That's what the Psalms declare in there, which means he's the one who is worthy of glory to be praised because of his ability and his power to create all these things that we see. So, Let me give us a framework for worship, so to speak, in a simple and as general way as I can. Genesis uh, 18.2, it's the first time worship is spoken of, and it's the word for bow down. Uh, God comes and he visits with Abraham in a physical way. There's these three individuals that are outside the the camp uh, of Abraham, and he sees them and he goes out to them, whether he recognizes right away that they're God in the flesh to some degree or some way, or whether it took him some time to, to recognize that. He goes out and he worships them, is what the text says, which means he bowed down before them. And then, of course, when Abraham and Isaac are going up to the mountain to worship, same words used, they're going to go up and bow down before God, but we add to it the new element that he was planning on sacrificing his son, but God saved him from that, obviously. Now, fast forward into a different language and somewhat of a different culture, and the wise men go to worship Jesus. What do they do? Different language, but same idea. They go to bow down before Jesus. So here's the thing. Let's just go around bowing down to whatever we think is the Lord, and we're good, right? No, that's weird, you know? And it would be just simply legalistic. I just do whatever I do, bow down. I mean, what does it really mean? The New Testament draws it out and continues to add to this framework, scripture I love. Romans 12, 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I love this verse for a lot of reasons. One thing is there's something that's stuck in my head for many years. Mike Chambers, many years ago, said something to me that I've always remembered. I even said something to him just a few years back. You remember when you said this? He's like, no, I have no idea. But I said, he said, uh, the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps climbing down off the altar. And that's, that's the problem with all of us, right? Why do we come together on a Sunday morning to worship together corporately? Why is it that every day I need to recenter my focus on Christ so that in that day I worship him? Because I am really good. I'm like a Houdini. Always good at getting loose of my bindings and coming down off the altar. And so we see that it's not just this 
formal, ritualistic, legalistic action of bowing down, but it's actually a surrender of the heart before the will of God. And then 1 Corinthians, love this verse, 1031. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen? Right? Do you realize what the scripture just said right there? It said eating is worship. And some of you are like, amen, I'm excited about that. I don't know how some of us eat as worship. All right, that's a whole other sermon, though. You know what I'm talking about? But I love that idea. Even in the most trivial things that you do on a daily basis, find a way in which you glorify God in that action and in that moment. Now, we're going to, I think the rest of this verse that's here is going to be important, but I'm going to read what comes after that here in just a few minutes. But there's all kinds of attributes and things that go along with the idea of worship. But for now, we can just take this general idea of bowing down, the idea of of sacrifice, the idea of attributing glory to God, and come up with what I think is a simple idea of worshiping God in all creation. It's just this. Worship happens when we give up our glory to draw attention to God who is worthy of glory. How often throughout your day, throughout your week, do you run across moments and opportunities in which you can glorify yourself or you can lay yourself down and glorify God? There's characteristics that go with that, right? To glorify ourselves, typically it's intrinsic with pride, jealousy, envy, anger, self-centeredness, whatever it is, right? We're in a moment, I'm right, you're wrong, that's all there is to it, you bow down to me. I'm this, I'm that, you bow down to me. When we start thinking about this with a different framework, how I'm pursuing self-glorification in any moment, in any day, in any circumstance, we begin to see how we're trying to essentially insert ourselves in the place where God is the only one who's worthy to be inserted. It's, it's idolatry. It's It's worshiping something that is completely unworthy of worship versus the king of glory who is completely worthy of worship. Now, the the other attributes are a little bit easier, the ones who go along with it well. Uh, Paul lists these out for us in Galatians. They're considered the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, that list. You know, read Galatians maybe later this week because it's in any given moment, any given day, any given opportunity, in your jobs, in your marriages, or in being single, or in caring for your kids, or being respectful to your parents, or being a teacher, or being a student, being an athlete, anything. I have no doubt that on any given day, if we were to count it up, we probably have multitudes of times in which we have to make a choice. Do I glorify myself or do I bow down in this moment and glorify God and how I react, respond, prepare, or live? Here's three simple things, three daily preparations, because it's not just about gathering together on Sunday. It's about Monday through Saturday. And let me give you just three simple daily preparations, three words. The first word is just simply time. Here's what I'm going to say about this. Give yourself grace. Don't give yourself a pass. 
That means you, you don't have to be accountable to God's word or accountable to what God's trying to do in your life, but give yourself some grace. I know that for myself, I often find I'm sitting here after a five-year cycle of time in my life looking back going, why didn't I learn that when I was this age? Or why didn't I learn that? You know, Why didn't I figure that out by this time? But here's the reality. Um, we live in a generation, in, in a culture, in a time where things are very microwavable. You know what I mean? I want things to happen really quick. I think that's compounded by uh, the prosperity gospel that we see within our nation. We've been blessed to be a prosperous nation in many ways. And so we think that God's just our tool to get what we want. So, right, so I'm going to go to church because I want him to fix my marriage. I'm going to go to church because I want him to fix my finances. I'm going to go to church because I want him to fix my kid, my family, my whatever. And God's the great fixer. Well, you add that with a microwavable culture, what is it that we do? Well, we show up a couple Sundays, and we don't see any results. So it's like, ah, I'm out of here. And then maybe every four to six weeks, we'll just pop in. Versus the idea of committing ourselves to something over the course of time, recognizing that it takes time to really understand, to, to, to grow in the presence of God in my life, worshiping that presence of God well, and being committed to it over a source of time. And think about this. I mean, all of it moving us towards a place when we go to be with God the Father in heaven, or Jesus comes back before that happens to take us to a place he's preparing for us, right? And in that place, I never am conflicted in my thoughts. My thoughts are always consistently, 100%, perfectly attuned to how do I glorify God and honor the people around me? And I know that 100% of the time, all the people around me is constantly, they don't have to argue with themselves and be conflicted by whether or not their thoughts are always moving them to glorify God and honor the people around them. This is the perfect picture of heaven. But in this time, right, I'm really struggling with that. I struggle to worship God on Monday and worship God on Wednesday. You know, I struggle to prepare my heart well to come in here to worship together collectively and, and, and with the community of God. But give yourself the grace of time. Don't think you can just pop in and out and something amazing is going to happen. But be committed to it over a season of time knowing that God will work in our lives to do things that we can never imagine. The next one is community. Uh, community is essential. There, there's this growing idea that we can have Christ without Christ's community. This is, there's nothing farther from the scriptures to be true. Community is absolutely essential. Let me ask you, how do you uh, find yourself in the context of where you've got to de-glorify yourself so you can glorify God outside of community? It's impossible. It absolutely requires that. Besides that, where's the place where you're being called up? Not called out, called up. I mean, think about this. I think a lot of times we uh, avoid a smaller community in Christ because we know here he can tell me something from the stage. I can be a little bit convicted, but then I can get back to my normal routine on Wednesday and nobody's gonna really say anything to me. So when we go into a smaller community, we think, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to like bear all of my sins and tell them what I did in the fourth grade and how I stole Susie's Jello and everything else, and it's gonna be really bad. And we're fearful of, of that kind of community. But the reality of it, that's not the kind of community that Christ is calling us into. He's calling us into a community that loves us gracefully, graciously, and calls us up into the person that we've been called to be because we're always aspiring to a new level. Do you have somebody in your community that lives at a level that you aspire to be at? 
Or do you feel like the big dog on campus because everybody in your community is like two or three notches below you spiritually and you feel like you're in a position of authority and power? If you don't have somebody that is leading you to a place that you don't know how to get there and where to go, I would say you need to up your game in your community. And the last thing is simply this, focus. Focus. Do you know what the, according to some studies, what the average amount of time somebody can sit in silence is? How long somebody can sit without something being said? Fifteen seconds, we hit the limit. And that made some of us feel uncomfortable in here, didn't it? I used to love leading a small group for middle school students. I had become just an advocate for silence, and I'd ask a question, cross my legs, sit there. Just look at them, squirm. Wait until somebody said something, right? How is it that we're going to enter into a deeper understanding of the presence of God through prayer, through silence, through listening, through reflection, when 15 seconds go by and we need to say something or hear something, we need to pick up our phone, we need to check our Instagram to see if we got that post like we want, or whatever it may be, I don't know. It really does conflict with a deeper presence and calling of God in our life and understanding how we can worship him and preparing our hearts for worship. Not just in the same way we're preparing to come into here on a Sunday morning that what I sing, I want it to be glorifying to God, not glorifying to me, how I pray, how I read scripture, how I'm attentive to what God's word says. I want it to glorify him and not just fix something in my life. Uh, when, when we come to that place, it's also something we start understanding. I do that on a daily basis. How are we recentering on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to, to really focus in this day? I want to glorify God. I want to worship him. Now, listen, I'm not saying like Jesus, we got to get up when it's still dark in the morning or stay up and get up in the middle of the night. That may happen for some of you. Some of you are good at that. But don't think that you're less spiritual if you can't be like Jesus and get up when it's dark in the morning, all right? It may be a different time, but all I'm saying is simply this. Jesus, the Son of God, said it's essential that I get away from the crowds and away from the people and recenter every day. If it's essential for Jesus Christ, how much more essential is it for us to worship God? well. We've got to prepare our hearts. We can't just expect it's going to happen. We've got to be intentional. And so these are so important. Listen, my time is limited. The last half of this psalm looks, I think, a little bit more at the corporate aspect, which we're going to look into next week. But let me throw some questions out for you. I've got four of them. I'll give you two two by two here. Write them down, snap a picture of the screen, whatever you need to do to reflect on these throughout the week. How are you preparing yourself for worship on Sunday morning? It may be, are you preparing yourself for worship on Sunday morning? Or is it, uh, it's 10 minutes to go, let me get out of bed and let me get there as quickly as I can. Which, hey, listen, I'm not going to knock it. You're here. That's awesome. But what's the next step? How do we prepare our hearts more for Sunday morning? How are you worshiping here to glorify God and prepare yourself for the week ahead? You know, are there things coming to mind? Maybe a meeting that you have later in the week, maybe something you've been dealing with with a kid or with a parent or with a spouse or whatever and how it's influencing and encouraging you to be more prayerful, more humble or whatever it may be. All right, here's two more questions. What is your purpose in worshiping here? 
This is a scary one because I'm afraid some people will be like, yeah, you're, you're right. I don't, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm not coming back next week. <laughs> you know, that's kind of scary thought, right? But if you, if you find yourself in that place, like, you're right, I don't know. Like, I'm coming because I'm a Christian and this is what I'm supposed to do and it's what I've always done. Quite honestly, I think you're in a great place because you're contemplating why you're here. What should be your purpose for being here? These are the kinds of things that we don't think about, but these are the kinds of things we got to start thinking about and the questions we've got to ask to be more intentional about worshiping God consistently. What is your aim when you gather with others to worship? Are you here to try and fill yourself up in some special way? Are you here because you have some sort of specific need that you want God to fix? Are you here to glorify God because he's the king of glory? Are you here to encourage and, and, and just lift up the people around you when they hear your voice being sung, whether it's a joyful noise coming out or not? And what is your purpose for being here and worshiping corporately with other people? Listen, we're going to investigate this more next week when we gather, but let me wrap this up for now. The psalm asks a question, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Real easy answer, no one. Moses was allowed to go up to the top of Mount Sinai just because God let him up, but everybody else had to stay clear, man, or they're going to be in trouble. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Jesus basically told us, no one. A rich young ruler came to him and said, hey, listen, I want all these things. And Jesus said, uh, you know, who is good? Who is good? There was the answer. It was very clear. It was implied. It was stated. There's only one who's good. Only God is holy. This is why when we try to reach out and touch the ark, we die. Our life ends. But Jesus Christ is worthy of ascending the mountain. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and as a result of that, as a result of him humbly submitting in worship to God, accomplishing the purpose that God had called him to accomplish here on the earth. He ascended the mountain for us. He's given us the opportunity to do what? To touch the ark. To know the presence of God is with us. Even greater than that, it's just not some relic. It's the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. This is what God has promised to each and every one of us. And only learning to give up uh, the glory that we would want in a minute or in a moment or in a situation or in our personal context to glorify God, this is where we're learning how to worship. This is what Jesus Christ exemplified for us. This is why he's the king of glory. This is why he's worthy of our worship. Look at what that scripture went on to say. 1 Corinthians 10.31, we read this part. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It goes on to say, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example is I follow the example of Christ. In everything that we do, every day, every moment, every situation, every opportunity, with the gifts that you have, the jobs that you find yourself in, maybe the situation and the context that you don't want to be in. And trying to find that place of contentment to realize that God is giving you an opportunity to worship him in that moment, in that context that you're not excited about. It's an opportunity to lessen yourself, to not glorify yourself, and to give glory to the only one who's worthy of glory, which is why he is the king of glory. 
Learning to worship well takes time. Worshiping with only worship will only grow in your life through and in community. Learning to worship doesn't happen by accident. We have to focus our hearts daily.